weeks, we've got some events coming up here in Richmond, Virginia that you definitely want to come and check out for the month of November. November 15th at Strange Ways, we've got Pores and Pasties with our friends at Burlesque Right Meow. Then on the 16th at Gallery 5, there is a My Chemical Romance tribute burlesque show. I'm not okay, we promise. A burlesque tribute to My Chemical Romance on the 16th at Gallery 5. On the 18th of November, we're back with trivia at Fallout. Also on the 25th of November, right before you run off to go spend Thanksgiving with your family, make sure you start your holidays right with trivia at Fallout on the 25th of November. Then over to Busky Cidery on the 29th of November for stand-up comedy with our buddy Carl Tron. The Carlton K is going to be hosting that on the 29th. And then back over to Gallery 5 on the 29th for a fundraiser for the RVA Burlesque Festival. We've got some other dates in December that I definitely want to get out here. On the 7th of December is the Creatures Grim Toy Run uh, to raise money and toys for the Children's Hospital. And that's going to be at another round in Lakeside. And let us definitely not forget Punks for Presents. This is the 14th year that they're doing Punks for Presents. The dates are December 6th at Bandito's Burrito Lounge, Friday, December 6th. Saturday, December 7th, after you've finished doing the toy run at another round with some live music and and me as an MC, uh, then go on down to two venues, the Fuzzy Cactus, and then the venue right across the street, Boogaloo's Bar and Grill, for some good old Punks for Presents fun. Then on December 11th, head over to Sticky Rice to dine and donate. Friday, December 13th, Friday the 13th at Wonderland for some Punks for Presents action. Then on the 14th, Saturday the 14th at the Camel. And then finally, December 19th at the Camel for Gritty City Records for the Kids 5. Check out all this info at GYPodcast.com and follow our social media for updates. We'll see you there. The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast. You won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast where we reboot, remake, reimagine, sequel, sidequel, mashup, and adapt some of your favorite and least favorite properties of film, television, books, comics, and what have you. Uh, tonight we are talking about a cult classic, an underappreciated cult classic from the Very early much. early 1990s that co-panelist uh, this evening to help me reboot, remake this is also a big fan of The Rocketeer is the uh, subject matter Such here. a great movie. Honestly, still one of my most favorite movies. It's like one of those movies that you can put on and you just feel comforted by. Absolutely. You can, when you watch it. It's pure camp. Uh, I've got Jack here with me to uh, to discuss The Rocketeer. Uh, it's always great to be back. What was the last one you were on? We did Star- Last, last Starfighter. Starfighter. Yeah. And we did another like also- oh, 12 Monkeys. Oh, 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. 
So we're delving into the camp on this one for sure. sure. Camp. This is in there along with like, say, Dick Tracy, as far as like '90s super Absolutely. campy, over the top uh, comic book adaptation. Yeah. Actually, so a lot of people aren't familiar with the Rocketeer as being a comic, but right um, now I don't know much about the comic. Was it a strip first or was it a book? No, it was an actual book. Okay. Uh, it was not an original 1930s comics uh, comic. It was just something that the author had a lot of love for the era, and he wrote pretty much in the style of like pulp magazines. Um, yeah, uh, Dave Stevens did the uh, did the original comic, and he did it uh, did everything as much as he could to integrate uh, a lot of the pop culture from the era, which is why the character that you see in the movie is actually lighthearted compared to what he originally wrote, which was uh, 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 the the characters were a lot more rugged, a lot more um, seedy. Like underworld style, so it's more pulpy. Yeah, very much. Okay. And or, uh, originally, the 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 care uh, the the girlfriend was straight up Betty Page. Oh wow! Like okay. they actually, he actually got in trouble with the Betty Page estate because it was completely her likeness and only a slight difference in the spelling of the name. Oh yeah, then that's not okay. Yeah, it was it was so not okay. But <laughs> uh, so they obviously had to change it for when they made the movie, and they the the movie is a completely original story. It's like it's got the characters from the comics, sure, but not the the complete plot is an invention of the the film that Disney did. Well, I feel that there are certain circumstances where you can get away with that a little bit, where oh, yeah, the universe is, is really the important character there. As long as you have all the working parts of the universe, right, you're going to be able to get away with it. The last episode of Smack My Pitch Up we did was on Mad Max, yeah, and we did well a sequel, kind of. Yeah, just like they're all kind of sequels, and that's that's the beauty of those kinds of char- uh, those kinds of stories is they center on you just need the character there, mm-hmm. whatever world they're plopped into, do, uh, whatever story happens happens. Yeah, like you the, the, you don't need to retell the same cycle of a story over and exactly. over. Exactly, the live action Ninja Turtles uh, movie. There were elements from different Ninja Turtle stories in that yeah. story, but that wasn't a straight through story that they just fully adapted. Exactly, it is part of the. Uh, process especially around this era of uh, comic book movie making um mm-hmm. like that it was just taking kind of the spirit of the comics and trying to tell an original story with that tone right because they wanted people to actually come into it like fans and new people would both be surprised by what they saw on the screen which is something i think a lot of comic book movies kind of lost in the years afterwards they they work too much to adapt specific stories Sure. So if you were a regular comic book reader for that character, you knew exactly what you were going to see walking into it. When people said Batman Begins, everyone thought Frank Miller's uh, Batman Year One. Sure. And that's essentially what we got. Yeah. Uh, differences, sure. But for the most part, the the it was Batman Begins was Batman Year One. Uh, I think it was great in the era when they were like, no, we've got the character, we've got the world, we've got some, you know, antagonists that we can throw in there, but we are not slavish to every single story arc that they wrote. We can make our own story from these characters. There was also a number of comics that were being done in this kind of campy comic books were supposed to feel like comic books, even though they were live action kind of style. Around yeah. the same time, you've got uh, The Rocketeer, you've also mm-hmm. got The Shadow, you've got The Phantom. Another, great, another uh, underappreciated great the film. shadow yes yes not the phantom no, i still like the phantom but <laughs> the i phantom. admit the phantom is trash it is, trash. <laughs> it is such trash all these movies that take place in the olden days 
Right. Um, oh, I mean, later in the 90s, but there was... Oh, no, that was early 2000s, the League of, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right. That was also trash. That was pure trash. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the last official Sean Connery film, because it bombed so hard. Yeah. That's got to be bad where that's where you send your iconic actor and you get sent out on League was, of Extraordinary was, Gentlemen. It, he actually turned down playing Dumbledore in uh, the Harry Potter adaptations to play uh, Quartermain in Ooh. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He's like, obviously, I've lost my instinct. I'm retiring now. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. you do what you got to do to protect yourself. And after League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I get it. Mm-hmm. So with The Rocketeer as being this kind of stylized period piece, that makes it kind of difficult as far as tonality on how you're going to approach this. I don't think so. Um, I mean, <laughs> narrows down the number of directors that can actually do this. True. Yeah. At, at least do it well. Or do it in that similar style. Now, mm-hmm. I, I took kind of a sidestep stylistically mm-hmm. where it's still kind of playing homage to it being campy and bigger than life. Yeah. But it's definitely a different approach. Did you kind of maintain that similar tone or? Did oh, you... yeah. Okay. Oh, I absolutely maintained the tone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you did. Did you change directors at all or did you stick with the same director? I, I brought back Joe Johnson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, for those unfamiliar, Joe, uh, Joe Johnson that directed uh, The Rocketeer, The Rocketeer was hands down. I don't think you're going to get any argument from anyone that that is the reason why he got Captain America the first event. Exactly. Because it absolutely, if you see Captain America, the first Avenger and Rocketeer, it's built in, out of the same DNA. Exactly. It very much feels exactly like it's in the, the same, same universe. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, that's the reason why I want him to redirect, uh, to direct a reboot of it. Not just because he did the original and he nailed the, the tone. And not just because he did Captain America, first Avenger, and absolutely nailed the tone of a World War II uh, camp action movie. Yeah. But because... My pitch is the MCU vertical integration of the Rocketeer. So incorporating the Rocketeer into the Avengers MCU. Yes. Wow. Specifically, I want a crossover movie of um, the Rocketeer with the Howling Commandos, the same actors who were playing the Howling Commandos in the first Avenger uh, uh, film. I want to bring back Zola as one of the primary antagonists of the movie. You want Howard Stark to be looking at this outfit and going, huh. I I, <laughs> I actually want a line to be in there where they uh, mention the fact that this is the technology that's eventually going to lead to the Falcon. Okay. Like, I want them to integrate because Disney owns this, uh, this property and sure. they own M- the MCU and they've got the director who bridges the two. I say do it. Damn. The, the reason why I say do it is because it's frighteningly possible. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot that you would have to change up. I mean, it's... Uh, right. They're dealing with Nazis on both fronts. Exactly. <laughs> fronts. And, but, yeah. And the, the fact was that the um, original lore of Captain America the First Avenger was a pretty much that that character was the first true superhero that everybody saw. And every, sure. everybody else has kind of been like copying him. So I want that, that sort of bridge to where you're now in this new world in the MCU and heroes start cropping up. Kind of, kind of Watchmen style. Yeah. When the first heroes showed up, everyone was like, well, this is odd. And then like they're just everywhere. Sure. Wow. 
So Avengers yes. meets Rocketeer. But now yes. early Avengers. So you're not dealing right. with the entire yeah, MCU. You're, you're dealing more... Uh, you're dealing like, with Agent Carter and, yeah. and Howard this is, Stark this is and still, Cap. I would still want this to be either World War II or right after World War II. I feel like right after World War II, because then you don't have as much... Maybe just right at the tail end of World War II. So you've got a little overlap with yeah. Cap. You've got a little mm-hmm. bit of that when he's coming up. And it's yeah. almost like a torch pass situation where he's on ice. Everybody thinks he's dead. Well, so. I, I honestly want the movie to kind of pick up after Cap has already gone into the ice. Okay. And the Howling Commandos no longer have their commander. Ooh, okay. That's where I, That's why I want to keep those same characters in. Nice. Okay. Yeah. You could have it as its own little... You've got decades to play in before Absolutely. it even runs into the first you know, Avengers right. in the MCU. Okay. That's uh, bold, sir. It is very bold. Yeah. I went slightly less bold, although I definitely took tonally a slightly different approach to it. There mm-hmm. are so many notes in The Rocketeer that it's no wonder that a lot of uh, aficionados of steampunk really kind of oh, lean yeah. on The Rocketeer as kind of ins- inspiration. It's more the so brown than even, leather. It's the brown leather, yeah. yeah. And more so than even Wild Wild West, which is way more steampunk, but it just sucks. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It, it's, that, it's that quality of, you know, quality. <laughs> Exactly. It needs to be, you know, a film you want to watch. Right. So uh, The Rocketeer being kind of inspiring for the steampunk community, I wanted to lean in just a little bit on that. Right. Not have it as a true steampunk uh, steampunk story where it takes place in the 1800s with steam-powered everything and anything, anything quite like that, but definitely in that, almost more in that diesel there, punk. Yes. Kind that's of, what I was yeah. about to say. That's actually the subgenre. Yes. Of it. Yeah, absolutely. So more kind of that speed. And uh, I wanted it to have that very retro tone. I wanted it to be super over the top. Right. Very campy. Um, just lean in harder mm-hmm. in that direction. Instead of trying to like modernize and give it a modern, you know, a edgy tone or something. I wanted it to definitely just own the camp super yeah. hard. And a film that I fell in love with that did just that with the 1980s. And uh, with a very similar storyline, basically. Like this kind of screw up that finds a secret weapon that wasn't he wasn't supposed to have and then uses that to fight the forces of evil who are trying to kill him and the people he cares about um that's about the end of the comparison but i'm talking about the movie turbo kid (sighs) yep and uh there there are three directors of turbo kid and turbo kid 2 which is currently in production really yeah there's three 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 directors they've also worked together on a number of other projects including Mm -hmm. the summer of 1984 and ninja eliminator 3 which has such a good name that I need to check this out. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. For sure. It's uh, And I might screw up the names. I think they're mm-hmm. French-Canadian. Uh, Francois Simard, uh, Anouk Wissel, and Johan Carl Wissel are the three. Okay. So it sounds like it's a married couple and then just a dude. Yeah, no, I I, I like them um, already because I, I, you showed me Turbo Kid a few months back, and yeah. it's absolutely uh, a blast of a movie. Oh, like, my God. Watching it, I've... I could have sworn it was actually made in the era and they did an excellent job. I think they would absolutely be able to nail the, uh, the tone and be able to get that sort of like feeling and that camp to it, absolutely, but still make it engaging. And that's the, that's the thing that I I really want to be able to see is not just the camp, but the evolution of it. I want to be able to see like more in-depth character. Absolutely. And I think they could deliver that. Exactly. And I think that's exactly kind of what I was aiming for with them is not only were they able to work in this kind of like weird, exaggerated universe, but mm-hmm. also 
you really felt the connection of the characters. You kind of didn't need a whole lot of dialogue to really explain where everybody stood Yeah, in that. And I deeply appreciated that. I am figuring that them having an actual Hollywood level film production quality uh, and budget that yeah. they would be able to have set dressers and everything to help them get the period appropriate set dressings for right. it. Help with the, the look of everything. Although I would still be so down for them shooting in a style that makes it look like it came right out of the 1940s. Oh, for sure. I would be so down for that. And I definitely want to have just that very like 1930s, 1940s kind of tone to it. Yeah. I want uh, even the, in that, um, the shadow, in that Rocketeer, the Phantom, you know, that technology that is available that it should not have been available at that time. Right. Just kind of fits because there's rivets in it. Exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's all you got to do. That's just put takes. rivets on it and you're and fine. a couple of hard switches, you know, yeah, exactly. make it sound like it's whirring up before it goes, but like, yeah. And then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they would have a ton of fun with it and mm-hmm. I've got a pretty solid fucking cast because I didn't want to put just goofy comedic actors in there. I right. wanted actors that would play it straight because I think that's why the Rocketeer works is nobody's hamming it up for the camera. Right. Everybody's playing it truly straight to the camera. And uh, and the ridiculous nature of the story and the surrounding environment yeah, is I what think, makes it fun. I think the cheesiest character in there gets the most brutal murder in the entire film, which is just, it sort of takes you back for a moment because they're like, oh yeah, it's a fun and it's a comic book movie and here's this cheesy character here and you think you're going to get invested and he's, he's going to be a big problem. Nope, we killed him 20 minutes in. Yep. Like horribly. <laughs> and I definitely want, yeah, the actors to... Much in that same early career, like airplane and stuff, um, mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Where he played it straight, and that's what made it funny. When he started hamming it up for the cameras, when he got less funny. Right. I want to play it straight while the entire world is the joke. You know? Exactly. That's that's where it's going to work. So, uh, plot line, is there anything in particular that you're really leaning on for the plot? or? Well, in mine, I want, uh, because the vertical integration and because I want it to be like this bigger world uh, thing to it. Um, it, You could have the illusions that this is the same character from the original Rocketeer, but I honestly want it to be taken out of Hollywood. I want to be taken out of like the original settings for the comics. I want him to be on a European tour or like hunting down Nazis. Okay. All right. I want Inglorious Bastards meets the uh, Captain America. Okay. All right. That's that's what I want. I'm not too far away from you. I'm leaning forward a little bit on maybe what would have happened from, say, a sequel of The Rocketeer. Almost, exactly. Where this has got uh, Cliff actually working um, almost kind of borderline <laughs> adventurer slash uh, experimental pilot when right. it comes to the rocket pack stuff. So he's got very much that kind of Indiana Jones tone to him where he's both an academic and, uh, and you know, hard fighting. Yeah. Know, like rabble rouser as well kind of tone. And uh, so he's not meant to go out on missions necessarily at this point, mm-hmm. but when plans get stolen and it looks like there, there is a actual other rocket ma- rocketeer outfit being built. Yeah. He goes to stop it basically. Okay. He's the only one that can kind right. of deal. So you have the like rivalry. And I also want to add in kind of like a Nazi scientist uh, counterpoint to uh, Howard Hughes. Very doable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't need to be any but any particular Nazi scientist from history, just like right. an engineer that is helping develop the Nazi science version, which is like way bigger and more powerful, but not as maneuverable. That classic yeah. niche of, you know, 
the bigger and badder you are. Iron Man one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That kind of deal. Yeah. So um, that's kind of my, my approach to the plot is uh, definitely a different story. We've already seen this story. It's a great story. You don't right. need to remake it, but something exactly. with the characters for sure. Yeah. So casting mm-hmm. for Cliff. Right. We're going to run down the serious and then we can play around with the funny. Yeah, yeah. So for Cliff, um, this is a kind of Midwestern pretty boy kind of looking dude, like very, very determined, um, kind of... Uh, not paying attention to his priorities as much yeah. as he should, maybe. Tall, angular, fabulous hair. Yes. <laughs> Who are you thinking for Cliff? Uh, Justin Hartley. Justin Hartley. Uh, he was in Smallville as their version of the Green Arrow, and he's in This Is Us now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah tall dude. Yeah. <laughs> you tall. Need tall. Yeah. Uh, uh, classically good looking. Uh, he can play serious if he needs to, but he can also be very, you know, sort of lighthearted. Uh, and again, fabulous hair. Nice. I went similar thought process. I wanted mm-hmm. tall, angular, fantastic hair, something that could be in a fight scene as well. Yeah. And had that classic old style look. Right. Um, and I think Army Hammer would be able to do a pretty good job of it. I can see that. Definitely. Yeah. I'm thinking like Lone Ranger kind of have his, his approach to that. He's already mm-hmm. played kind of period piece stuff um, and been able to kind of lean on it a little bit as much as that movie's trash. Uh, it, yeah. But don't judge the movie, does, judge the he acting does well. in the movie. Yeah. So I think Army Hammer would have a lot of fun as Cliff in this uh in this role. Totally. For Jenny is our next one. Yeah. The uh the starlet. Yeah. Je- uh Jenny or Betty, you know, depends on which version you're Yeah, in. yeah. <laughs> sure. Jenny Blake, Betty Page, whatever you want to call her. <laughs> the love interest. Well well the the thing that I really like about this character and especially the the movie adaptation is because in the comic ad uh version she was a terrible character. She was a ditz. She was uh, like just an, uh, uh, manipulated by everybody, especially Cliff. Cliff was a scumbag a lot of the times in the Ooh. comic. Yeah, it, it the character is one dimensional at best. She just wants to be an actress in Hollywood and that's it. Uh, the Jenny Blake character that we actually got was smart. She was engaging. She was uh, she was actually on the same level with uh dealing with the nazi threat she was a much better character when they adapted her sure which is so weird for a for a hollywood version of a comic book movie usually they 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 round off the the subtleties but when you update it though you're looking at stuff that maybe worked way back in the day but like in a modern take a one-dimensional female character even in the 90s as much as we progressed from there Mm -hmm. nowadays um, you still wouldn't be able to get the like, oh, geez, I hope I get saved. You know, it would, yeah. it doesn't, it just wouldn't even work even in the nineties. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, it made sense for them to kind of give her a little bit of cojones right. for lack of a better term. Um, for me, uh, the, for this, uh, for this version of the character in the more like, you know, we're in a comic book movie in a comic book universe movies. Um, I went with Olivia, uh, Thurlby. Uh, she was in dread. She was, uh, 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 judge Anderson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's a little more petite than sure. um, the original, but I think uh, she's got a way to be sultry, which is what the character was originally written to be. Sure. But I think she's got a lot more ability to project depth. And in this char- uh, in this version, uh, I, I need, we definitely need the depth because she's going to be a lot more active than just, you know, the damsel to save. Sure. I was kind of looking at making this character definitely smarter than apparently how she was portrayed in the comics. Oh yeah. Not hard. 
but maybe a little bit a uh, little bit meaner. Not not a bad character, not a mm. character you're rooting for, but just a little bit of a harder edge to her. Yeah. Um, and only because Cliff is going to be so preoccupied doing his test pilot stuff, being a jackass. <laughs> that uh, you wanted somebody that's going to call him on his shit and be kind of a shit to him. Absolutely. In order for it to really work out. Otherwise, it's going to feel like she's being stepped all over. She's got to have right. a little bit of a like, Cliff, I, I don't know even know what to be, where to begin with you kind of a yeah. tone. Um, and I wanted the socialite kind of tone. Actress, um, low end actress getting some small parts and slowly building up her, her uh, portfolio. Right. And uh, had that old classic 1930s Hollywood kind of way of speaking. Mm-hmm. I absolutely wanted. And, oh, the transatlantic accent? Yes, very yeah. much. Yes, I very much wanted somebody that could play with that. And I've seen her do it a little bit. And I think she would really embody that relatively well. So I got Anne Hathaway. Oh, absolutely. And just to be that 30 starlet kind of yes. approach. Which she has that classic look. Yeah, she's got the coloring. She's got uh, Her hair would uh, would work well mm-hmm. for it. Uh, she's definitely got the chops to play it. Sure. Um, like she's, uh, she's an actress I think does, who doesn't get as much like real range. She's always seems to be playing the princess in one way or another. And she definitely has more range than that. The li- oh, yeah. little bits in the movie she does that you can see it just oh, kind of leaking well, out. Yeah. Um, what was that one? The more adult one she did like right after, um, the princess diaries where she's like the, 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 kid from the palisades and then she gets mixed up into like uh gangland activity Ooh, i don't know offhand yeah she's really good in that hell yeah um and it's absolutely nothing to do with the fact she goes topless oh no well then i definitely have to check out this movie <laughs> yeah um also just looking at her range that she does in dark knight rising as catwoman that was a definitely a departure from her uh her regular work and i think it was a really good one the only problem was that the rest of the movie sort of had to play up against the Dark Knight. So sure. any good work any of the actors were doing in that movie just got drowned out by, you know, everyone's trying to compare to, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker. Which is always tough when you follow some uh, part of a series that's 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 that imp- that, impressive. Yeah. How do you even compare? It's it's hard exactly. to follow. You can't. You're going to end up kind of faltering. Right. So uh the next one I have of course is PV. Yep. The uh Older gentleman that helps around, uh, helps out Cliff as with his flying and everything, and it's kind of like the uh, Whistler and Blade to his yes. uh, to his character. So, uh, I don't see him quite uh, quite like the combativeness that that Whistler is. Like TV sure. seems like he's just an old mechanic, and he's just tired of Cliff breaking the plane. Yeah. Um, but I definitely see that that like adventuresomeness in him, like that that what he used to do way back in the day. And he used to pull some like crazy stunts when he was younger and when he was Cliff's age and he's just trying to part wisdom on this kid and he's not listening. Um, so I wanted like a father figure kind of actor, somebody that you could see like actually raising kids of his own. Sure. Even if he doesn't have them in character. And uh, I thought no one better to do that than Ed O'Neill. Wow. Ed yeah. O'Neill is a, like a bumbling old mechanic that, uh, that just like cursing under his breath and just mad about right. stuff being broken. Okay. Yes. Nice. And I could see Ed O'Neill actually putting somebody in their place if they overstep their bounds. I like that he's been allowed to be more than just his character from married with children. Because right. as that character was deeply two dimensional and was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed yeah. to be anything more than that. But uh him being able to play other roles, you've really seen that he, he plays the curmudgeonly character 
a lot. Yes, he does. But he has different ways of approaching it depending on the role. I think he's uh, one of those quiet, underappreciated actors that he does his work just so well that he just blends into the character. Sure. And you kind of lose sight of it. When you start to think that maybe that's who he is as a person, and that's just not the case. Right. Apparently, he's a pleasant man. Yeah, big sweetheart. Now, for this uh, character in the original, it was played by Alan Arkin. Yes. Which is a great... I mean, he was incredible in it. He's, he's irreplaceable. Yeah, he's he's an amazing actor, and he just has that right tone that you don't yeah. want somebody to play it the same way as him. Mm-hmm. Because, but you definitely because that's want just, that It's feeling. Arkin, just, he plays a little bit of that in all of his characters. Yeah. The, and uh, you want, I think, a character actor. Right. That's going to be able to bring their little bit of something that they mm-hmm. have in their characters into this role and make it their own, but still have that kind of loving, lo- loving curmudgeon. Yes. Kind of tone to it. And there's a character actor that's possibly my favorite, like character actor where he just in, is this kind of character in a lot of roles. Uh, he is impeccable, legendary Stanley Tucci. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that would be a whole different char- character. Yeah, exactly. Alan it's not Arkin's. because that is amazing. Because that actually. is absolutely Arkin's character in, in the right. original movie version. Uh, you don't want him to just, you don't want somebody coming in there trying to do that. No, they're going to be playing Alan Arkin. Yeah. You know, Stanley Tucci, the Tooch, uh, would, <laughs> would absolutely play it his own way. Yes. And that's what you need. But you would still be that lovable curmudgeon kind of tone. I can definitely see that. I can. Uh, oh, that would be amazing. I'd love to watch that. Oh, I, I just love watching him work anyway. Stanley Tucci yeah. is a delight. He's he's one of the reasons why I still watch burlesque. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another trash movie that I unapologetically Absolutely trash. love. Love that. Total movie. trash movie. <laughs> so um, we've got our PVs. Uh huh. Next one up I have is the v- villain, the main yes. villain, uh, Neville Sinclair from the mm-hmm. original. Is this somebody that's in your version? Or? No, in my version, there isn't a Neville Sinclair, I, but I did just designate that the bad guy is a Nazi. So, okay. you know. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. So for me, it's it's it could be a, a, a character who's like Neville Sinclair, a, a, a spy, an, uh, an insurgent, somebody who is disguising the fact that they have Nazi affiliations. Or they could be the straight up like like this guy was a general in the Nazi army and he wants his uh, he wants a rocket uh, for his soldiers or whatnot. It does. It, it's not not important. Exactly. Sure. What the character is. The fact is that he's a Nazi and Cliff's going to punch him. Okay, you don't need any real dimension to this character. Yeah, uh, but I do want somebody who can play dimension because uh, I need a villain to be engaging. If the villain's not engaging, then I don't think that the char- uh, that the that the hero is actually in any threat at any point. So I think that's the one of the great weaknesses of the MCU is that they make the villains just so much better. <laughs> uh, that they can't let go of them. Hence, you've got Loki, who keeps coming back. Well, and back it's either and back. they make them good enough that you are identifying with them, or you love them and you want to see them back, or they're nothing. And then you never have any kind of investment in whether or yep. not they're going to, because obviously they're not going to be able to do any damage. Because, well, look at the guy. I don't even remember his name. What Ronan? What? Or n- even worse than Ronan was the uh, from Thor: The Dark World. Malekith. Malekith. Who is played by an amazing actor, yes, but like absolutely. you have absolutely no investment in the character. None. Like you, no character. There's no development, development at all. Right. Yeah. So I want an actor who can actually develop a character 
because I want people to actually be on the edge of their seats on whether or not all of the commandos are going to come back from this mission. Sure. Including Cliff. So I went with Colin Firth. Okay. Who has played a Nazi in the past. He was uh, in, uh, played one of the Nazi scientists in Conspiracy for HBO way back in the oh, 90s. Oh, wow. Uh, but now more people probably recognize him from King's Speech and Kingsman. But sure. like he has played Nazis in the past. I think he could do it again with a more hardline Nazi instead of just a scientist. I will say it was an absolute delight to see Colin Firth, uh, which you just know for being the proper British actor in mm -hmm. so many things, playing the unequivocal badass in the Kingsman, that I'm, church I'm not scene, yeah, that no, church I'm not scene. disputing his work, and that's in fact one of the reasons why I want him as uh, as a villain is because I think he could be amazing at it. Sure, he loves playing heroes. I think he would absolutely love playing a villain even more. Yeah, a charming villain. Yes, absolutely. I dig it. See, I went with the original Neville Sinclair, right? Which is but which what is a good story. But also, this being kind of almost a vague sequel, like it doesn't really even discuss the original very much, but it mm -hmm. you could start it up, for, up from there, or it could be seen almost kind of spiritually as the sequel to the original. Yeah. You have him as a, a actor that was a spy that got found out, you know, all, all the notes from, you know, just an offhand statement about mm -hmm. who he is being used as a, uh, as the person, the, the test pilot for this Nazi version of the rocketeer okay outfit yeah and then boom and then you make some because kind of, he does all of his own stunts does all of us there we go <laughs> it, can, it can be as simple <laughs> as that really that we're talking camp here so it yeah. doesn't need to be overly explained at all um so i wanted that charming but devilish kind of mm -hmm. tone that you get with with the original i mean uh, he's incredible in the original yeah and uh i wanted an actor that could portray that and i can think of none better currently than one Michael Fassbender. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally down for it. I'm here for it. He can play e pure charming evil so well. Yeah. It's that smile that mm -hmm. looks sort of like a shark grinning yes, at you. Absolutely. But you're still like into it. <laughs> That's yes. the thing. You're still like, I, well, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, All right. Fair enough. Um, I, I don't really think I have to explain Michael Fassbender too much. Yeah. No. You're good. <laughs> Who else do you have on your list here? Uh, all right. So in the movie, the uh, the part has been subsumed by Howard Hughes. But in the original comic, the lore of where the rocket came from was it was an invention from Doc Savage, who's an old school pulp action sure. hero. Yeah. Uh, so in my version, I want Doc Savage to show up. I don't need him to be there for very long, but I do want him in the story. And you know, the lore on Doc Savage is he's like the bronze man. And he's the perfect human specimen. Sure. Right. You know, tall, muscular, but like hyper intelligent and skillful. In fact, Doc Savage is the basis for half of what Batman became and also later Bane sure. as a dark inversion of Doc Savage. So this is a character who has got a huge history in comic books, but he's also like a, a, a public in, uh, character now. Uh, so anyone can use him. So for my Doc Savage, I want I went with Ryan Hurst, who most of most people probably know him as uh, uh, um, uh, from Remember the Titans and Sons of Anarchy. He played Opie. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. He, tall, imposing guy. Very who, imposing. Who, yeah. Who, but can light up a room and he can be very serious or he can be very jovial. And he's definitely got the physically imposing down. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I did the Eddie Valentine character. 
Okay. I definitely wanted that mobster influence as well. That's good. I really liked in the original Rocketeer how the mobster was playing hard against the hero and was the villain for the majority mm-hmm. until he found out he was working for a Nazi. And then it's like, and he's like, nah, I'm, I'm an American, I'm an American first. first. Yeah. It was such a good turn. And Paul Sorvino really does it well. Absolutely. And it's Paul Sorvino. I mean, yeah. it, he's incredible or it's past now, I believe. Yes. Unfortunately. unfortunately. So um, be, if only unfortunately, because that means I don't get to see him playing God. Uh, in more movies like he did with this uh with uh after repo and the genetic opera he did play god in the director's other movies uh about oh, the, heaven uh, and hell was it the carnival the yeah oh what is that called it was like satan's carnival or something yeah, like that, something like that. Yeah. but yeah he plays god in those movies and he sings and he is so <laughs> so amazing in those movies and yeah it's just unfortunate you don't get to hear that golden voice unfortunately anymore. Now, I did go with an actor that has actually worked with these directors before, was okay. was in Turbo Kid, has been... Oh, I know exactly where yeah, you go. Uh, has also been in Total Recall and Scanners, <laughs> and now that he's an older gentleman, has widened out a little bit, and you could I, absolutely yeah. see him as like the older mobster type character. And that voice. And the voice is booming still. Yeah. And so still can absolutely bring the intimidation. We're talking, of course, Michael Ironside. Yes. Such an amazing name. Yo, it's a great name. And the thing is, is he embodies that name. Oh, yeah. It's like you look at that guy. I'm like, yep. Yep. yep, That's exactly what I thought when I when I heard that name. You look at him, go, your name's Michael Ironside. I just know it already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it makes sense. He's worked with the directors before. Right. Um, In a role that he probably didn't think was going to be much, because when you look at the all the parts of Turbo Kid, it looks like a crappy low budget movie. Right. It's only in the delivery that it became this amazing movie yeah so of course i'm pretty sure michael ironside would be like yeah okay <laughs> play a mobster sure yeah, let's do this i can do that i get to shoot a nazi yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm into it so michael ironside for eddie valentine yeah uh do you have any other characters uh i did want to uh move over the character from luther the the big heavy character who was uh, uh um the, the the sidekick to the villain yes the big looked like a dick tracy character well actually the funny part is that that original character is based off an actor who was working in the 1930s as pretty much a grotesque he was there to look intimidating to everybody around him uh and he didn't speak very much but so when they recruited the actor to play luther in uh the rocketeer they gave him makeup to look like the old actor. <laughs> so it looked like that they had recruited that actor to play in this movie about the sure. Rocketeer from the 1930s. It was a brilliant move on yeah. the part of the uh, of the original film. But I still want like the heavy, that, that big intimidating character who just smashes things at the behest of the Nazi bad guy. Sure. So I needed somebody who could predictably smash things apart and very well. And I went with Kevin Nash. Kevin, Na- yeah, Kevin Nash could do that. Yeah, for and sure. he's already been in a Marvel movie as uh, with the Punisher, so yeah. he's got experience. So yeah, that, that's fine. <laughs> It'll work. <laughs> uh, anybody else on your list? Or I also wanted to bring in Bigelow, uh, the, the the slimy like uh, uh, promoter character from the original movie. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I needed somebody who's was equally played by the uh, slimy the, the pawn shop owner from The Crow, right? Yeah. Uh, so one of those actors that you could just look at and you go, oh, you're going to do something awful. Sure. Um, I went with Mark Boone Jr. 
Uh, most people will know him again from Sons of Anarchy. He, uh, but also uh, he was in Batman Begins. He played Detective Flash, the guy who gets pulled up by the line. Right. Like, Swear okay. to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was Mark okay. Boone Jr. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see him play slime. I mean, he's played slimy before. Exactly. Uh, he's no very way. good at playing slimy. Absolutely. Uh, the one that I have left here is uh, Howard Hughes. I wanted to cast a right. Howard Hughes. And I was looking at old pictures of Howard Hughes. Try, yeah. Trying to figure out. And I was thinking of going older, but this is... You know, this is a real character. You have yeah. to kind of cast him around the age that he was, was at, at that time. time. Yeah. So I was kind of leaning on around that era, probably like 30s, maybe into early 40s mm -hmm. uh, era. And an actor that I loved back in the 90s and early 2000s that still acts, still has a lot of roles, mm -hmm. but just never hit superstardom like I was expecting. Became a very well-appreciated actor, did a lot of uh, like character actor roles, mm -hmm. um, and is appreciated, but just never really fully went to superstar. Uh, that actually with that mustache would look relatively similar hairline and everything to Howard Hughes. I went with uh, Giovanni Ribisi. I can't say I know that one. Oh God, he's been in a million things. He was in the non-punk rock suburbia movie. Yeah, I probably would recognize his face. I'm good with faces, but it, just by the name, no clue. Yeah, the number of movies he was in. Uh, he was in Avatar, Boiler Room, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Saving Private Ryan, He's the main character in Sneaky Pete. Um, he was in The Bad Batch, Ted 2. He was the in Ted 1 and 2 as the obsessed fan. I know exactly who you're talking yes. about now. Oh, God. He's been in everything. Oh, wow. He actually could pull off. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he could pull off Howard Hughes, especially if, if you play the full-on full on Howard Hughes and not just the Hollywood screen version. No, I'm talking like the, the full Howard like Hughes. Like full Howard Hughes. Yeah. But yeah, Giovanni yeah, Ribisi. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I would, yeah. He's been in a million things, and okay. he's a very accomplished actor. It's just he, yeah. never, he never got to superstar level. Right. He's he's that, that, that face that you see in everything. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, I know that guy. What else has he been in? I've yep. seen him before. And the answer is everything. He's yeah. been in everything. So that's my uh, Howard Hughes. Okay. So is that our cast list? That's for mine. The, for the series? Yeah. Okay. Now we got our remix version, and that is... Uh, I hate you for doing that. Yeah, I had to. Until somebody actually gives us a little music cue to play for the remix part. Um, my listeners, please give me something so I don't have to do that anymore and upset my, my panelists please, here. Please, for the love of God. <laughs> he keeps us strapped to the chairs for to listen to that. Absolutely. The Clockwork Orange style. So this is where we take a different tone right. to the movie. So we, maybe not things we necessarily think will work, but hell, why not? Just kind of, this is a uh, mental exercise on what okay. this could look like. So for your uh, remix version, what's your tone? What's your approach? What's your My director? tone is to go, um, all that whimsical that you had in the original movie, crank that to 11. Get the most whimsy you can. We are going to treat this like a comic book. And we are going by that, we mean nothing is serious. Nothing is deter uh, determined by the end of it. It is absolutely just a fun romp and like all the whimsy, all of the whimsy, a true Disney production. Okay. So for the director, I went with Ron Howard. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. That tracks. Absolutely yeah. tracks. And as a shout out to the uh, to probably what's going to be a upcoming episode, also the director of Willow. Yeah, for sure. And that is something that is in the plans for us to do a Willow episode, which I'm deeply excited about. But Ron Howard has done a million things, um, only a couple of which have been award winning. 
but yeah. all of them have been very aptly done. Like yes. he's a very very deft director. He yeah. knows what he's doing. Apollo thirteen is one of the one of the best movies I think that's ever been made, and that's yeah. his best probably. I think everybody yeah. arguably would say that Apollo thirteen is his yeah. uh. And since we're getting close to Christmas time, we can't forget how the Grinch stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Oh, no. That was Ron Howard as well? Yes, it was. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Isn't it painful? That is a little painful. I told you all of the whimsy. See, I'm going the total opposite end where there are elements to the original movie that have the kind of spy espionage thriller kind of approach to it. Which is aspects I absolutely loved in the original. Yeah, for sure. And I want to just kind of lean in way hard on that, take Mm -hmm. the camp out of it a bit. Okay. And just replace it with that kind of like bridge of spies, Tinker Tailor soldier spy kind of Ooh, like, like you have my attention. Yeah. And I wanted an actor or a director that could really have that like sexy thriller mm-hmm. kind of approach to it. And there's none better in my opinion than the director of heat Manhunter, And then also did a period piece with public enemy. So he knows how to do like an old thirties, forties style movie as well. True. Michael Mann. Yeah. No, that's a that's an impressive resume to be slapping on there. I mean, Michael Mann is an incredible director, and yeah. he is that kind of director where he only does projects that he wants to do. Right. Uh, he and he doesn't come out with a lot of movies, but the movies he does. So I don't know what you're going to drug him with. To yeah, agree right. to this movie. You want to do Disney's <laughs> The Rocketeer, Mister Mann? Not even the original one. We want you to make the remake the re- of Disney's The Rocketeer. <laughs> but can you make it a sexy spy thriller? Oh Lord, I could. <laughs> You know what? I want this to go forward because I want to be able to sit in the room and listen to you pitch that to him. Pitch that to Michael Mann. He's <laughs> like, do you know how busy I am? And <laughs> you're like, wasting my you fucking time. Bring me this? I'm firing my agent. <laughs> Anything that start any movie that's title starts with Disney's fuck Done. Off. Just fuck <laughs> off. So Michael Mann, incredible director. Well, yeah. <laughs> not too worthy for this yeah uh, honestly this year shoot for the moon i say yeah why not i mean it, this is my podcast my rules exactly so <laughs> if i say michael mann's gonna do it he's gonna fucking do it right <laughs> so your cast list what are we looking at here for your uh ultra whimsy my ultra ron, ron whimsy, howard ron Jimmy. howard cliff secord would be played by jensen ackles who absolutely can play the silliest hero you have ever seen and he does in supernatural Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Supernatural dude. Yes. <laughs> if you've ever seen him, like, uh, the, those candid videos of him, like, between takes, he is one of the most amusing, hilarious people, just casually. Yeah. I want him to play that up as the hero protagonist. It's like, yeah, you, you, you punch Nazis and you fly around in a giant rocket that's bursting flame behind you, but, you know, you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I went with, uh, I wanted Cliff still, even in the spy thriller kind of thing, to have that classic, like, Midwestern American kind of tone. Yeah. Just the Joe Everyman, um, but heart of gold, test pilot type dude. Right. And there's an actor that I feel like has that look, you know, absolutely has that look. And even when the roles, when he's trying to play harder edged, there's just this, like, kindness that comes out of It's like, you look actor. like my neighbor. I can't, I can't take you seriously. It's uh, Billy Crudup. Um, oh yes, that well, he was totally. in Public Enemy, so he's worked with Michael Mann. Yeah. He also was an almost famous and murdered in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Watchmen, of course, of course. So I mean, he's got a a ton of movies on his yeah. uh, resume, and very appreciated by Hollywood. I think as Cliff, he would just wreck. I it. can do, definitely yeah. see that. Then we've got Jenny, right? 
So who do you have for your super whimsical Jenny or or Betty? Depending um, on. And again, whimsical out the wazoo. So uh, we kind of lean back into the comic version of Betty Page here with um, maybe a little too lighthearted or airheaded, whatever. Uh, I went with Lacey Chappert. Uh, she was in Mean Girls. She was in Lost in Space. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So she's she has a look to her that could be very pinupish, which is what the original artist was doing for the comics. Sure. But I think she's also uh, definitely able to play a character uh, that is, you know, fun. Sure. Uh, so I think in Ron Howard's Disney's The Rocketeer, I think she could play it. Excellent. Yeah. I uh, went with a lesser known actress that's uh, kind of coming up, doing some stuff uh, recently, and also was a long run in a series. Uh, she was in Super 8 as the mom that died. Uh, she was in. She's currently in a Ford v, v Ferrari, uh, that movie about Ford versus Ferrari. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, also she was Claire Randall in Outlander, the series Outlander. So if you're familiar with Outlander, uh, stunning beauty, the long necked, sharper features on her face. Ketronia, uh, Ketronia Balfe, I think. She's Irish uh, descent, I believe. And uh, she's a beautiful, absolutely stunning uh, woman that can play that, like, I wanted that old classic Hollywood, almost like Black Dahlia mm. kind of uh, mysterious actress woman kind of character. Okay. And uh, I could see her absolutely playing that role. So she's going to be more of the kind of like mysterious vampy kind of girlfriend in, in here. Right. Because, you know, Michael Mann features. So you got to think, you know, sexy, probably dangerous woman is what you're going for here. Yeah, it's a absolutely. Then we've got uh, PV. Yes. Is the next one up. And uh, for your PV, your whimsical PV, what are we looking at here? Well, since we're doing full whimsy, let's get like nostalgic with it. And I would actually like to bring back Billy Campbell from the original movie to play PV in the remake. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So the original Rocketeer himself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but he was, um, I mean, he's been in a few other movies people might recognize. He was actually the big Texan in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. That's the same actor. Wow. Yeah, okay. in case you didn't notice. Yeah. Uh, it was the mustache. Most people lost him. Fair enough. Yeah. Nice. That's a solid choice. Yeah. I went with uh, one of my favorite older actors. He's been in a million things, and I don't even have to go through the list. Yeah. Um, he can be hilarious and uh, also very intense. One as PV, Harvey Keitel. That's a very different take. Yeah. Whoo, boy. Because you yeah. still want him as a, like, a lovable character even though it's yeah. a, like a harder thriller but yeah. also i i see kind of moments that almost kind of embody that scene in true romance with mm-hmm. with hopper yeah and walk-in yeah. that kind of like where he's a lovable kind of curmudgeonly character that is put under the gun t- you know to protect his younger ward or yeah. what have you and uh kind of holds his own as the lovable character but also has a big amount of fuck you behind him as well right and i think Kytel could pull that off definitely yeah so then we've got the uh the villain character mm-hmm. 
you, yours is just a Nazi, right? An, a Nazi. Unnamed a yeah. Nazi to be named later? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, generic uh, villain Nazi A. <laughs> okay. And appropriately, because of the letter A, he will be played by Adrian Paul. Oh, wow. Yeah. Adrian uh, Paul. Yes. Uh, really wow. reaching back for you Highlander fans. Yeah, no shit, man. Uh, but also, he uh, has played a Nazi in the past as well in a terrible, terrible movie called The Breed. Where he plays a Nazi oh, vampire. Yeah, Jesus. The yeah. breed. Yeah. That is digging way back to get your casting. I mean, yeah. Uh, but he's also apparently been in The Arrow recently. Um, oh, a few okay. Times. Uh, I, I'm not a show that I uh, follow, but uh, I was just I lost track up. about halfway through the second season. I've heard mm -hmm. it got much better, but. Yeah. It's one of those you lose track and then it's hard to pick back up again. Right. So for my, uh, my villain is still Neville Sinclair. Uh huh. But I wanted kind of devious eve fucking evil like charming but also kind of like borderline losing his charm because of how evil he is kind of thing okay uh and i think incredible actor that could do a lot with this role and come off as very menacing uh christian bale as nevelson's claire i could see that and the, the what i like about your castings for nevelson claire is um the original nevelson claire character is based straight out of hollywood myth on um oh errol flynn was okay. actually rumored to have been a nazi sympathizer while he was in movies during the 1930s wow and actually lost roles because of it uh over a rumor and no nothing was ever confirmed but errol flynn as a as an actor actually suffered because of these rumors so the the character of neville sinclair needed to be an utterly charming person which is why i think they did very brilliantly in the in the casting that they did do um because you know he's always going to play a uh, uh, always going to play a great villain. But oh, for sure. Any character actor that you get to play Neville Sinclair again needs to be equally charming, but able to just turn it on a dime. Sure. Uh, I I think that's why Fassbender worked so well. Absolutely. Um, I like Christian Bale's work. I don't necessarily see him as being that charming in person. Well, I think that's kind of what I was leaning for with this version because it's a grittier grittier thriller. I yeah. wanted it to be almost like that. The intensity, the anger, all the stuff that he's trying to hide while being an actor is kind of like sweating out of his pores almost, <laughs> where he can't yeah. really hold it entirely back. That he's trying to be charming, but it's just like holding back the floodgates almost. Okay, yeah. It's kind of if his, that, that, you know, that's the characterization you're going for, then yeah. yeah, he can definitely play that. Yeah, basically like just how he would be if there was a uh, key grip walking through the shot. Basically yeah, that kind that of... that character. That character, yeah, for sure. Character, yes. Yeah. Uh, who else do you got here? So, well, there's your, uh, in yours, it would be, uh, Howard Hughes in mine. It's Doc Savage. Okay. So for my Doc Savage in the more whimsical version, uh, I went with somebody who can absolutely be whimsical and absolutely project. Yeah. I believe that guy's got an IQ of 200 and absolutely. I believe that guy can bench press everything. Uh, uh, I went with Dwayne the rock Johnson. Okay. Because Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to cast a, a, for a character that's nicknamed the Man of Bronze... You get the Bronze you Man. You get the Bronze Man, Dwayne <laughs> yeah, Johnson. for sure. <laughs> I can't be mad at that. Yeah. Uh, isn't there talk about him... Uh... There is rumors that there's a Doc Savage movie getting uh, uh, in productions and that uh, Dwayne Johnson is favored to be playing the man himself. It makes sense. And I, I found that utterly hilarious when I was trying to look up uh, 
characters who had maybe previously played played him you know kind of match to it but sure. this that this was too good i had to I no had fair to, enough i had to absolutely 100 percent agree yes dwayne johnson there has. are just actors that kind of embody that character that you yeah. go yeah of course that's got to be it mm-hmm. for my uh howard hughes i wanted a great actor that could come off as uh idiosyncratic and a little charming as well but de- like off of it and, yeah. and would have a lot of fun with that role. And yeah. it, I just kept coming back to an actor who did this in early role mm-hmm. for this actor in uh, 12 monkeys. That was and very, we've discussed before, very strange, uh, little eccentricities of the character. And I think he, he playing in that sandbox of Howard Hughes, he would have a lot of fun, especially in a thriller version. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt playing Howard Hughes. Yeah. And I think that's a, a kind of character that he's really not been allowed to play much in no, the last few years. Absolutely. And I think he would have a lot of fun playing that role. Yeah. I think he's got a lot more range than most Hollywood will uh, cast him for because he's just so damn good looking. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's the leading man. You know, he's the pretty one. We put him in front and we don't trust him with actually acting even though he's proven time and time and time again he's got an incredible range well and mark my words that as he's getting older he's starting to widen out a little bit and he's still Mm -hmm. a very attractive man i'm not i'm not saying he's he's aging poorly or anything he's just when you get older you tend to not even get fat because i don't think he's getting fat he's just widening a bit you know your jowl gets a little bit wider like it's just natural part of getting older it's the spread for sure yeah and I think as that happens, he's going to be allowed to take on more roles than just being the young pretty boy or the uh, the I mean, romantic lead. Something very similar happened to uh, Anthony Hopkins as he got older. Sure. Uh, most people nowadays only know him as the great actor he, he is today uh, with the incredible roles that he's been given. But go look up pictures of him when he was in his 20s and 30s. He was an incredible pretty boy. And that's all he was allowed to be until he started getting older and he was uh, he started losing some of his hair and, you know, his face started spreading out uh, a little bit and people just, you know, couldn't cast him as the young pretty boy anymore. And suddenly we saw the amazing actor that had been there the entire time and he's still just been allowed to play with it. And that's what I'm excited to see is I think uh, a role like Howard Hughes, I think Brad Pitt would really step up. Absolutely. And uh, not that he has really anything to prove necessarily, but True. I think having the opportunity to play something outside of his normal characterizations, right? it would be a real treat for him. Definitely. So, uh, And then the one more I have is Eddie Valentine, the mobster, mm-hmm. uh, somebody that worked with Michael Mann on Heat. Uh, right. De Niro as Eddie Valentine is kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. So. No, if we're if we're going to do mobster, let's do the mobster. The mobster. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, of course, I've got Bigelow again in my, like, whimsical version, and I wanted him to be still be slimy, but, like, it has to be, like, not the kind that makes your skin crawl. Sure. So I went with Kevin Dunn. Most people will know him from Small Soldiers and from Transformers. He played the dad of the main character in both. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like you could see him doing something shady, but you don't feel like you need to go lock him in prison afterwards. No, he's like skeezy, but he's not really a man, real danger to anyone. Right. Yeah. And of course, I want the heavy uh, Luther character coming back in again as well. Uh, and But I wanted somebody who you know, didn't talk as much, you know, not as engaging, uh, but definitely there because, oh, wow, we just found the biggest actor we could and just 
put him comically next to the Nazi character that he's sure. subservient to. I went with Dollop Singh. Uh, most people will probably know him as the WWE's Great Khali. He was okay. also in The Longest Yard. A uh, few other movies where just he was cast because this is the biggest guy we could find. Yeah, no shit. Nice. There is uh, just a small segment of actors that can play that gigantic character. You've got the dude right. from Big Fish that was also recently in... Uh, I think he was in the last John Wick movie as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, or there's two actors that look very similar. Um, that oh, he I might was also in um, uh, My Giant. I thought. No, no, that's a different actor. That's a different actor. And then you've got uh, the Mountain. Yeah. Then you've got the Hound. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so there's only a few that really can play the massive, tall, right, dude. So um, yeah, those those are the castings. At this point, we're gonna do a few mashups before we get into our trailers here. Okay. I'll uh, start off with a few that were suggested by our listeners here. Uh, Greg or Gregazoid uh, suggested Mad Max. And I can. Okay, I need to be led into that one. How? Well, that's, that's <laughs> what we're here for is to figure out how this works. And the only thing I could figure is it being a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those kind of like mad scientists in the desert type situations where. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Um just as awful um so you've got like uh water world where there's like this thing that the bad guys are hunting after and you know the good guy just sort of stumbles onto said thing which yeah. is very similar to the plot of sure uh the rocketeer um but in this case it's the rocket right and then you've got mad max where uh, the original mad max you've got the the helicopter pilot sure the the the, the well it's not really a helicopter, whatever. The the guy who's piloting the the aircraft. So now you can have this opportunity of Cliff Secord, who has stumbled upon this like secret invention or leftover technology from before the apocalypse, being chased down because these guys want to be able to take this rocket, reverse engineer it, and you know have all of their raiders have um, rocket packs. And yeah. then you've got Max, who's there standing between them, saying, "No, you can't have it." <laughs> Max Secord. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would take a stretch to get there, but I, I, I could see it as a Mad Max movie. Well, especially you look at something like, uh, say, Beyond Thunderdome, where you've yeah. got the kids that are basically create a religion out of this crashed pilot, and mm-hmm. there's a plane crashing the oh, desert. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you use that as basically, you take the Thunderdome plot, mm-hmm. but when they go to the abandoned plane that the kids show him, he's digging through and finds this old jetpack um, that was, you know, kind of, experimental technologies before the world fell exactly yeah i could see that and it runs on alcohol like it said in rocketeer so right they can make alcohol Uh, yeah alcohol is easy yeah one of the first original uh, human inventions let's get drunk yeah so it's something that you can actually make more fuel for it so we're carrying on a tradition yeah right exactly (laughs) so yeah mad max is doable the next one is tough Uh, our friend nick suggested taxi driver (laughs) <laughs> that's uh that's a tougher mashup just a just a touch i okay there's gonna be some mental gymnastics to get this to fit trying to make that work and it's just uh, if you've got an idea I'm, I'm 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 listening well you have the woman that works for the politician as the love interest uh-huh that's as far as i've gotten so far uh <laughs> 
<laughs> then you've got, of course. I mean, you could always go with the idea. Like, there is the iconic shot of him standing in front of the American flag, wearing the uh, the full outfit, and he's got the Luger in his hand, about to go shoot some people. So that's taxi driver. Like he thought himself in as a as as a vigilante, and he's going to go like kill the bad guys. So you know, instead of just shooting the bad guys, he's also like flying while he does it. <laughs> I. I hate you, Nick. Yeah, uh, this is that's good. that's definitely a very hard stretch there. Yeah, that's that's really out there. Uh, this one isn't as much. Uh, Bioshock suggested by our, our buddy Mike. Yes, that is that, very doable, that fits. especially Infinite. Yeah, Infinite absolutely works. Oh, totally. Because it's a cloud cloud city, so you allow jetpacks and there or their experimental jetpack technology, so you don't have to have the sky hook. I mean, you very much also could combine that with uh, Alita Battle Angel. Is like there's the Sky City, and then the rocket packs that were only exclusively there, one falls to Earth. And now you've got the one guy with the rocket pack, and then the entire city of people with rocket packs are like, give it back. Yes, I dig it. Battle Angel's solid. I didn't yeah. think about that one. That's good. Uh, do you have any mashups? Uh, I do. Um, uh, goes with the idea that like Doc Savage being a pulp adventure hero that was present in the original comic and sort of this pulp adventure hero thing like theme going through the original movie i thought like if we're gonna go like be fully integrated into the mcu let's like drag in as many other disney pulp action heroes as we can so sort of like a pulp league of extraordinary gentlemen but with like more of the american characters that were kind of written with that idea you know, you've got Edgar Rice Burroughs's uh, uh, John Carter from the Barsoom series. Sure. Disney had a John Carter movie. Yeah. I say bring in the actor and have John Carter show up in a Rocketeer film. Jesus. And let's bring as many of those characters as we can into this. Let's bring in Tarzan. Let's do this. All right. Wow. Uh, you could have the shadow. You could have uh, uh, Green Hornet uh, because he was actually uh, the grandson of the, the Lone Ranger. Mm. In, okay. in canon, he's the grandson yeah. of the Lone Ranger. And, you know, like, let's get all of these, like, old pulp action heroes together and let's go, you know, avenge some stuff. <laughs> nice. Okay, wow. So, like, a World War II era pulp Avengers. Yes. I'm into it. That yeah. sounds rad as shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and just imagine, like, Doc Savage and Tarzan meeting up with John Carter to fight Nazis. That's a... yeah. That's, like you can't lose that's with that so formula. Fucking ridiculous! <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Uh, the one mashup that I thought would be solid, and I even looked at this, um, the director of this film, mm-hmm. as a choice for directing a version of this. And uh, he hasn't really done much besides this movie. But uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow mm-hmm. seems like a pretty easy crossover. It takes place along the same era. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Instead of getting it from Howard Hughes, the rocket pack, that is like a small piece of technology from this like evil island of, of a mad scientist. It could work. He uses to fight against the mad scientist. Totally. So, yeah, it could absolutely work. Yeah, I can see those worlds working very well together. Absolutely. So uh, those are our mashups for now. Uh, now we get into the <laughs> ridiculousness, which is us doing our trailers. So uh, this is always the part I dread. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to do my Michael Mann version. Okay, uh, I'm going to do my sexy thriller. Uh, which version are you going for? Ooh, that's a tough choice. Um, I think I want to do my uh, the the MCU okay. version. All right, let me get the music queued up. 
from the director of Heat, Manhunter, and Public Enemies comes a reimagining of a Disney classic. Down on his luck, Cliff is doing everything in his power to hold his life together and hold his plane together and hold his relationship together. One by one, they fall apart. And even with the help of his best bud and father figure, Peavy, played by Harvey Keitel. Cliff can't do anything to seems to uh, keep his life together until one fateful day when he gets a jetpack. This summer, follow Cliff and his best girl, Jenny, played by Kaitirona Balfe. <laughs> As they fight the Nazi sympathizer, Christian Bale. and gangster Robert De Niro. Maybe with the help of his uh, whimsical friend Howard Hughes, uh, he can find the best way to save the day. This summer, Disney's Rocketeer. The fuck Nazis. Disney's getting edgy with their titles oh, now. Oh God! <laughs> oh, that was. Oh, I was trying to think Lord. of like the reckoning or something, and it's like nothing was just, coming to mind. Just to fuck it. Let's like, just get yep. brass tacks here. Yep. Yeah, it's fuck Nazis. That works. I'm sure that would be in a Michael Mann production. <laughs> yeah. That that would be the tagline. Yeah, fuck Nazis. Nazis. Fuck Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. that is my uh, my gift to you, sir. All right. Um. So I think in my usual style, you got to kind of visualize what I'm going for here. And this is not so much a teaser. This was this is going to be an actual proper trailer. But uh, you got to understand that it's vertical integration into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we're going to have as many clips as we can from the original Captain America oh, as Jesus. the opening for this trailer. Wow. Okay. All right. And uh, here we go. Your uh, Avengers initiative Rocketeer movie. Yes. All right. Here we go. A hero has fallen, lost to the ice. His arch nemesis has disappeared. The war goes badly. The heroes, the howling commandos, search for a new leader, which they find in Cliff Seacord. This summer, go back to the days before the Avengers, but after. Their first Avenge. <laughs> Justin Hartley and Olivia Throwby with Ed O'Neill and Colin Firth. Marvel's The Rocketeer. Nice. Yeah, I kind of lost my own wording. No, on that, that one. was fucking brilliant. They're, after their first Avenge, that was yeah solid. <laughs> Appreciated that. Hell yeah. So that is uh, our two takes on, uh, or four takes, I guess, four. on yeah. uh, on what we think would work or not at all work That's for a totally, Rocketeer yeah. movie. So um, if you have the chance to, Rocketeer is available on Disney+. Plus. We're not getting paid to say that. We're not right. getting any kickbacks from Disney. And apparently they're doing their own sequel series to 
uh, uh, for their kids' uh, cartoon version of The Rocketeer, which we found out about tonight. Yes, though that doesn't necessarily mean that it's out of the running for a new, re- like, family-friendly live-action adult reimagining of... Like they do with every other animated film that they've ever made. Yes, yes, absolutely. So check out The Rocketeer if you are unfamiliar with it. It's on Disney+. Plus, um, and again, we're trying out Disney+, Plus along with everybody else. So far, of so course. good. And uh, we're probably going to have a couple movies in the near future from Disney Plus just because it's a whole list of new movies to be able to dig through yep. and do pitches on. So this is the first of a probably a couple. Yeah. And it reminded me of a of a movie I loved from my childhood. So it was well worth it. Absolutely. So Jack, thank you for so much for coming on. For Always this a pleasure, Hobbit. Uh listeners, please help out this podcast by buying some merch on T Public. Just go to GUIPodcast.com slash store. Click on the link to T Public and we've got a. Uh, a smack my pitch up shirt we've got a shut the fuck up hobbit shirt we've got all sorts of gui shirts all over the place references to stuff from this show and others as well perfect for the holiday season so take a look and uh buy some stuff for your family yep you're like here's stuff you're not gonna understand the references for but i do and i think it's funny here you go so then you get to wear my face on your on your chest so and everyone needs that kind of sexy on there everyone needs that kind of sexy so go check that out uh support this podcast And uh, we'll see you next week for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com